You're listening to Slow Theology, Simple Faith for Chaotic Times, with A.J. Swoboda and E.J. Gupta. We're continuing our conversations about the Apostles' Creed. We've already talked about, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of Heaven and Earth. We've talked about Jesus Christ. Uh, we've talked about his, his, the Incarnation. We've talked about some Atonement stuff. I'm here with my friend AJ, and we're um, moving on now to uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, this is probably one of the parts of the creed that would be hard for a lot of people in the ancient world and the modern world to wrap our heads around. Because when we talk about Jesus, Jesus uh, was and is a you know a living being, and we can kind of imagine what Jesus looks like. He's got a beard. AJ has a beard. I have a little bit of a beard too. We can imagine what Jesus looks like, um, you know, get a sense for what it means to be, you know, for God to be human. Um, but when we, when we get into, I believe the Holy spirit, we're getting into some more mystical, um, otherworldly kinds of things. Now in the world that this creed was created in, you know, first, second, third, fourth century, um, people believed in ghosts, uh, spirits, um, Christians claim, I believe in the Holy Spirit. There's this one spirit of God. Um, now I imagine, you know, let's say the apostles or the Christian leaders were sitting around choosing what to put in the creed. You know, they're deciding on, you know, the, the eight or 10 ingredients in this recipe. And at some point they agreed, okay, we have to, we have to have all Christians affirm belief in the Holy Spirit. AJ, you know, wh- why is this such an important doctrine? Why is it so important that Christians confess together, I believe in the Holy Spirit? When we do that, we're, we're also saying, I don't believe in something else, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we say, I believe in Jesus, we're saying, I, I, believe, I don't believe that Caesar is Lord. I don't believe that I am Lord, right? What are we really claiming when we confess together, mm-hmm. I believe in mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit? Well, when you look at the creed, we've uh, this is this is now kind of our continuation of our, our, of our reading through the creed. Anybody who's read the creed or sees the creed notices that the the creed is structured around uh, three uh, what we would call the three articles, right? So the very beginning, the first uh, section, I believe in God the Father. The second section, I believe in Jesus Christ as only His Son, our Lord. And third, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So this particular creed, in, in terms of the Apostles' Creed, mentions the Spirit as the third article. So when we, in theology, we call the Spirit, the doctrine of the Spirit, the article of the third, uh, the, the doctrine of the third article, or the theology of the third article. It's interesting when you actually go forward to, um, for example, the Athanasian Creed or the, the Nicene Creed, um, you can see... From that creed to this creed, just in the span of nearly 200, 250 years, there has been a development of how uh, the church sees uh, the Holy Spirit. So, for example, when you go to the Nicene Creed, the language is, um, the whole, I believe, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, which is this uh, kind of fleshed out statement about the Spirit that gives life to all things. What we know is that in the earliest Christian community, as they were wrestling out what we would call orthodoxy or their core Christian beliefs, the Holy Spirit was actually the last person of the Trinitarian framework that really was 
as it were, solidified as um, being a full-on part of the Trinity. I mean, it's very clear that for nearly 300 years that the Holy Spirit was really up for debate among a lot of Christians. In fact, we know that there were, for example, there was a group of people called the Pneumatimakoi, which in Greek literally means the fighters against the Holy Spirit, who saw their role as arguing, making, basically it's in, in a way kind of like an original uh, cessationist group of people that are like, let's, there's no, you know, not cessationist, but a group of people that are saying, you know, that the Holy Spirit is, yeah, we got to be careful. got to fight against it. And even people like Arius, uh, who was a bishop in the early church, actually argued that the Holy Spirit was like a creature who lived out in the forest. Um, it's all this to say, like, th- th- that just shows that it was up for big debate. The fact that it's in the Apostles' Creed, uh, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, uh, and in the Nicene Creed, and in subsequent creeds, for us, what's important, to your question, why it's important, is it's very, very clear that the earliest Christian communities did not see the Spirit as in the way that you and I think of spirituality. We think of spirituality as an adjective. I'm a spiritual person. I do yoga. I uh, cleanse my, my, <laughs> I, I cleanse my, the, the, my third eye. I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. And it's very clear that the earliest Christians did not see that as being what's important. The spirit is a person, mm-hmm. a divine being who is uh, one uh, co-equal with the father and the son and is God is divine is uh, eternal transcends time and space. Uh, there was a, an awesome set of writings a number of years ago by Gordon fee who wrote about how we tend to conflate in the Western world. We conflate spirituality with, um, with being everything like I was, if I'm spiritual, it's all good to go. And he makes the case that whenever Spirit, the spirituality, that word spirituality or spirit is used in the New Testament. It is never in reference to being an adjective. It is that we have been born of the person of the spirit. Mm, you're right. Spirit so filled. spirit filled is different than I'm just a spiritual person. So you can be spiritual and not be born of the spirit. Here's why this is important is I think that the earliest Christians were seeing the spirit not as an adjective, but as a person. And that is a unique Christian distinctive when it comes to understanding spirituality. It is not whether you have adjectival spirituality, whether you can calm your heart rate down, practice yoga, whatnot. That's great. But what's more important is that we are born of the person, the divine person of the spirit. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think one, one thing I think of with the Holy Spirit is this adjective holy um, which isn't always used in the New Testament, but it really does become distinctive of a Christian way of thinking about the Spirit. Because in the Bible, you have all kinds of spirits. You have malicious spirits. You have spirits that um, empower people. Um, this adjective latched on to Christian language very early on. The Apostle Paul uses it numerous times. And it says something about the nobility and the goodness of the Spirit um, you know, there were all, you know, if you're in the ancient world and you wanted to know the future, you would go to an oracle, right? And there was the famous oracle of Delphi and the oracle of Delphi had this priestess that was, um, possessed by a python spirit, a pythonic spirit, 
right? And, you know, there was all kinds of questions about whether these spirits are good or bad. You'd have the ancient world believed in, you know, a lot of magic and they carried amulets and you're always, you know, wondering if people are cursing you, um, that sort of thing. Christians believed in this Holy Spirit, kind of this inherent goodness that was going to be a mark of Christianity. Um, and so to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit is to say, partly is to say, I believe that God is good, that God is different than um, many of the other kinds of powers and spirits and influences that are in the world. I think of Karl Barth, um, you know, this this giant of a theologian, middle of the 20th century, who was kind of fed up with Protestant liberalism of his time that kind of tried to domesticate God and try to say, okay, God is like us, but kind of a little bit better. You know, God is the best version of what we can imagine a human can be. Uh, and, and Bart really wanted to flip that and say, God is completely other. Yes, Jesus came to us. Yes, Jesus became human. When we talk about who God is, we actually have to start with scripture. We have to start with creation. We have to start with the revelation of God given to us from outside of us, rather than just for a bunch of humans to sit around in a room and say, you know, how do we become perfect? Um, we actually need this vision from outside. And the Holy Spirit provides that. You'd mentioned Gordon Fee. I also want to mention kind of something that stuck with me, which is his kind of first big book on the Holy Spirit, which is called God's Empowering Presence. Unbelievable book. It's it's a fantastic book, and it was really the first of its kind to say, hey, we need to do a deep dive, like six, seven hundred pages into a kind of theology of the Holy Spirit according to Scripture. And what I love about that is, you know, I'm going to give an analogy, uh, and it may seem really kind of cheesy, but it's kind of always stuck with me. Um, in Star Wars, you have, um, you know, you obviously have the Force and, you know, all that people have made analogies of the Holy Spirit, which I think are wrong, but there's a little bit, there's a little bit of that in the New Testament. But this idea that you could kind of project yourself through the Force to be with someone else. And you see this in all the movies, and so the person is there talking to you, but they're not actually there. I kind of think that the Holy Spirit – tell me what you, tell me if this is heresy, AJ, but I kind of feel like the Holy Spirit does this for Jesus because sometimes the Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. That we believe that Jesus Christ is not actually physically present with us because he's in the heavens interceding on our behalf. He's going to return again. The doctrine of him returning presumes he's not with us currently, right? We can say in a way, Jesus is with me, right? God is with me, God with us, Emmanuel. But I think the way that God is with us is actually through the Holy Spirit. Yes. So the yes. Holy Spirit, uh, you know, it, it actualizes, it facilitates um, the presence of, of God with us, which is why I, I think of Gordon Fee's image of God's empowering presence. It's God's presence with us. So the spirit is the one communicating with our spirit, right? Pairing with us like we do kind of pairing devices um, and also empowering us. Um, does, is that is that heresy, AJ? <clears throat> um, maybe. Um, but as far as I can tell, it sounded good to me. You know, in the last few years, Nijay, I've had the chance to read uh, a variety of really well written, constructed theologies of the Holy Spirit, actually from the feminist perspective. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, a big chunk of my PhD research was looking at 
uh, a figure named Sally McFegg, who's a feminist oh. theologian, um, a, a good deal of her work I, I wouldn't align with theologically, but I, I looked at her through the lens of, you know, how does she think about the environment and, and so on and so forth. But here's one of the cool things that I've, I've noticed about <clears throat> kind of, um, when, when you, when you read women who write about the Holy Spirit is, you know, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for ruach, uh, spirit is a female, uh, noun. It's, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a word that conjures up, uh, in many respects, kind of imagery of 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 a, of a, of a woman, um, and a number of uh, theologians, women who have written on the Holy Spirit, have often pointed out that the female experience <clears throat> of having a body in which you make room for another. Uh, the, the image of intercourse, a very visceral sort of picture of of making room in your body for another. Is a is a way to think about the Holy Spirit. We tend to think of, and it's, I think it's true. You're right. The the Spirit fills us. That's true. We're baptized with the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> but going back to Bart, I, th- there's a line in one of Bart's. I think it's in Dogmatics where he says, "We tend to think that the Holy Spirit. Um, we want more of the Holy Spirit. When in reality, walking in the Spirit is allowing the Spirit to have more of us." Mm. That we are being invited, increasingly, we are being invited to live the Spirit-immersed life. That the Spirit is making room for us. Um, You know, in my tradition as a Pentecostal, um, we highlight the importance of seeking the power of the Holy Spirit. And there can be a weird thing that happens in that where we never have enough of the Spirit. And and we don't want to be careful about that because, um, right, we... We, when we are filled, we are filled with the Spirit, but we want increased, you know, life and power and submission and all that stuff. But it's the Spirit that invites us into the presence of the Spirit. Um, powerful, powerful way to think about. By the way, again, Bart, I love this. He says Revelation is uh, is God telling us stuff that we couldn't tell ourselves. Right. That it, it is always something beyond us. Uh, that we can't rationalize or fully understand. And in reality, the work of the Spirit is always inviting us into the deeper mysteries of the things of of God, into those deeper um, uh, realities that we can't unpack for ourselves. But, 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 Nije, here's the issue. I think a lot of Christians are terrified by the Holy Spirit Hmm. um, and are terrified. But I think it's, by the way, interesting in the creed, the line, I believe in the Holy Spirit, is followed by, I believe in the church. And the idea that the connection between the Spirit and the church really go hand in hand. My pastor this Sunday preached an awesome sermon on why we often tend to be afraid of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit refuses to allow us to be baptized in individualism. To be a part of the Spirit means that we are a part of the body of Christ. You don't get to pick one or the other. Um, I don't know. Why do you think we're terrified by the Spirit? Or at least I should say, why why are a lot of Christians terrified by the Spirit? Well, you know, I've been thinking about this because, um, you know, I, I've mentioned before, I've been doing the study of, of how Christianity compared to other religions of the ancient world. I think partly is the invisible nature of the Spirit, which is a part of um, kind of the Jewish and Christian tradition. In the ancient world, um, to worship was to worship with a statue. You worship with a cult uh, image, a cult statue. And these Christians come along, and there was all this confusion over where's your God? This actually happened with Jews as well, where 
you have this, you know, Roman general Pompey who comes to Jerusalem. He hears that they don't, that the Jews don't have a cult statue in their temple. He actually goes into their temple and desecrates it. Actually discovers it's true. They don't have a cult image. They had a temple, which is nice. Christians didn't even have temples. Um, and I think Jews and Christians actually, that meant something to them because it required a certain level of trust, of intimacy and trust to say, I'm going to see God with something other than my eyes. That's going to require faith. That's going to require spiritual perception, right? This is the story of Thomas. And I know you've talked about Thomas before. We give, we give doubting Thomas a hard time. But the lesson is important because, you know, yes, Jesus accepts worship from the Thomas who sees him. But he says, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And this is talked about in 1 Peter as well. He says, you know, you love him even though you can't see him. Um, this says something to us because we so easily as humans want to latch on to an idol, want to latch on to something we can see it might be our pastor. And then we turn our pastor into God. It might be ourselves. It might be our money. It might be our house, our car. And I think part of the focus on the Holy Spirit, part of what makes us afraid, going back to your question, is the fact that it's something that we can't control, something we can't see, something we can't feel with our natural senses. Um, and that means it's out of our control. Um, and that is terrifying because it is, in some sense, a quote-unquote mm. blind faith, even though we know the testimonies of what God has done in Scripture. We know uh, our hearts strangely warmed, you know, as Wesley's talked about before. Does that does that resonate with you? I know you have more hundred percent. Well, I, I've been reading this. Um, a friend of mine turned me on to this uh, psychologist by the name of David Schnarch. Uh, great last name, Schnarch. Uh, he wrote a, a book on marriage called Desire and Intimacy that I just finished this weekend. A uh, guy turned this on book on to me. A lot of it is just uh, it's kind of stuff that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But there was a beautiful section in there about how when we don't feel like we can control ourselves. So people that can't, don't have the ability to control themselves will almost always revert to controlling others when they cannot control themselves. It's striking. Isn't it cool that the, the fruit of the spirit is self-control? Mm. Like the sense of, um, I, there is some control, not, not, not the absence of control. It's, I, I can, I can, I can control myself, but to submit to the spirit, you have to begin by the fact that you don't get to control God. Hmm. So true, true self-control begins by not controlling God, by loving God as the mystery of the Trinity, the the, the sovereign God who is beyond uh, uh, time and creation. So we, we can only be self-controlled by living under the mystery of the spirit who cannot be controlled. Yeah. But it's, by, by the way, in, um, I just, I'm finishing a whole class on the Holy Spirit, pneumatology. Wow. And we, it has been the funnest experience of having the students read um, side by side, uh, cessationists, uh, continuationists, Pentecostals, charismatics, people all over the spectrum and having students engage the the spirit from across the, the sort of theological spectrum and, and see them recognize, my goodness gracious, my, my little, the way I've understand the spirit is so ins insufficient, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is, a, I think, a healthy response to any engagement with the Holy Spirit is 
the mark that we're walk, we're engaging the spirit properly is we walk away being totally humbled. Uh, that's just always the mark. The one of the marks of of living the spirit filled life is is a constant uh, ongoing process of uh, being shattered before the Holy Spirit. So we're get, we're actually going to talk in our next session. We're going to talk about the Holy. We're not going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're actually going to talk about the Church. I believe in the Church, which is the next line uh, in the Creed. Um, <clears throat> but certainly, what's so cool about this is we are invited to embrace the full. Uh, the full per- the person of the Spirit as God uh, in the context of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this is not, we're not making up this theology as we go. This Christian has been thinking about this for 2,000 years. Yeah. And it's Absolutely. good, it's good, good stuff.